0: Uh, Pastor Chad uh, is, uh, knows me and yet still gave me a chance to speak here, which is, which is rare. I normally get invites from people who don't know me. <laughs> and uh, and um, it's also really wonderful to have uh, Pastor Larone here. Now, some of you know this, but Lerone first came to Washington to come and work with me on Capitol Hill, and she did an outstanding job, and while she was uh, here... I hired her because she was the top of the class from Southern Adventist University at the time. She came here, she came to your church, she met a young man, and let's just say the rest is history. I want to uh, just touch uh, briefly on the baptism this morning. I want to uh, just affirm the young uh, women who gave their lives to Jesus Christ. Was that beautiful or what? You know, we're told in the Bible that there's rejoicing in heaven when we give our lives to Christ. There is no similar passage that there's rejoicing in heaven when somebody preaches, and so I think the main course has already been had this morning. <laughs> I, I'm sort of the, uh, the footnote afterwards, and, and I, I'm very pleased to be so. But I want to challenge uh, the young women who were baptized, but also All of us, because I don't know about you, but I have a lot of friends that I grew up with who grew up in the church who were no longer walking in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe it was my friends, but there are very few of the kids that I was friends with in church who still go to church. And one of the things that I'm interested in, because I talk with a lot of, uh, I've stayed in contact with a lot of friends, is What is it that has become the stumbling block? And there's all different things. But one of the themes that I hear, not infrequently, also uh, repeated in the media and sometimes on social media too, is this Jesus is okay. We can handle Jesus. But that God of the Old Testament, have you heard this? The God of the Old Testament, we cannot abide. So I've been thinking a little bit about it, and I've studied it a little bit, but I've come to a very disturbing conclusion. My conclusion is that the God of the Old Testament is easy. It's Jesus who's hard. Hear me out. Hear me out. You see, in the Old Testament, we're told, give what percentage of our income? 10%. 10%. God says, I'm going to give you 100%. You give me back 10%. And if you do, I will increase you. That sounds like a good deal, doesn't it? You get 100%. You give back 10 And then he increases your... That sounds like a very reasonable deal. I can handle that deal. But then Jesus comes along and the rich young ruler comes to him and says, what's what's, what's the equation? And Jesus says, I'm the easy one. Uh, The God of the Old Testament is 10%, I'll give you five. All right? What? Everything? You want everything? That's not reasonable. And it gets worse. In the Old Testament, you've got God's followers who are rich, famous, and powerful. Well, think about Abraham. Abraham is a wealthy man. Job, yeah, no one wants to live Job's life, but he was rich before the catastrophes happened, and he was even richer afterwards. And what about Solomon? Gold, palaces, he had it all. People coming from all over the place to hear him. He had everything that we as Americans want. He was famous, he was powerful, and he was rich. Isn't that what we want? And then Jesus comes along and he has this Sermon on the Mount. Have you read that thing? Blessed are the poor. You want to be poor? Blessed are the meek. Hmm. Blessed are they who mourn. I don't want to mourn. I don't want to be meek and I don't want to be poor. What is this? Take me back to the Old Testament where I can be rich, powerful, and strong. And then when it comes to the golden calf of our generation, sensuality, sexuality, the God of the Old Testament is reasonable. He says, you get married you don't cheat. Now, Lisa and I just celebrated our 25th anniversary a few months ago now. And I gotta tell you, what I've I read the, the advice 25 years, haven't cheated. I know you know a lot of people don't listen to that advice. When you don't listen to the advice, it gets very complicated, apparently. That I can do. But then Jesus comes along, and what does he say? Don't even look at someone the wrong way. Are you kidding me? Don't even, oh man, that. That's hard. And if all that wasn't hard enough for you, let's go over to John, chapter 15, 18 to 20. Now, I should say, before I went to study law, I studied business, uh, and particularly marketing. I'll come back to that in a second. John 15, 18 to 20. And this is what Jesus says to those interested in following him. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I choose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Who likes to be hated? No one put up their hand. Remember remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master, If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. This is the worst advertising slogan in history. (laughs) Now, when I studied marketing, they always said, accentuate the positive. You know, if you see a sign, a a big poster for Coca-Cola, you never see someone with rotted teeth, do you? You never see someone with diabetes sort of feeling a bit bad. No, it's always this beautiful person with a great million-dollar smile. Now Jesus comes along and says, Hey, if you follow me, folks, i got a deal for you. You know how they treated me. That's how they're going to treat you. Now for most of us, we hear these words and we think, Yeah, 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 yeah. But that's not our life. And that's true. For the vast majority of us, for the vast majority of our lives, we have never really experienced anything close to persecution. But recently, things have started to get a little bit hotter, even in the United States. And as things have gotten hotter, I've noticed that there's three different ways that we can react to those. There's increased hostility in the press. The media often mocks Christians. It's very hard to find a positive, a positive reference to Christianity. And particularly, Bible-believing Christians are mocked. And there are three ways that we can react to that. The first way to react is to say, Christianity was once a pretty good deal. You, people, people sort of saw it as a good housekeeping seal of approval. You say, I'm a Christian, doesn't matter, I'm a Presbyterian, whatever it is, an and that, or the other, uh, but you know, I'm a Christian. And in fact, there was a stigma to being anything but a Christian. But that's changed, and it's changing at a pretty rapid pace. Maybe now's the time that the deal has changed. It's time to opt out, it's time to get out of this. It's not an irrational response. A second way to respond to the increased uh, disrespect and hostility to Christianity within our society is to say, look, we've got Christianity, it's got some things people like, some things people don't like, why don't we do this? Put our fingers in the wind, move over to where the wind is blowing and say, we're going to rethink all these doctrines that people don't like, and we'll just reimagine what Christianity is. I suggest to you that's actually the worst response that we could have. It's better to leave and be honest than to stay and be dishonest. Then the third option is to read the words of Jesus Christ and say, I'm in this. I know what I'm doing, I know who I'm following. I know he said it wasn't going to be easy. It's getting to be uh, not even uneasy, uncomfortable, but I'm going to stay with it no matter what, and I'm going to see it through. Recently, I, I uh, drafted a document. It was a submission to the Senate of uh, Australia. Uh, the church in Australia asked me to do it, and the reason they asked for a submission was because in Australia they're thinking about redefining marriage, something that we've already done via the Supreme Court here in the United States. And they asked me to write a submission to the Senate because they're thinking through what are the religious freedom ramifications of doing that. So I got busy researching what has happened in uh, the legislatures and also the law courts uh, here in the United States, also in Canada. Some of you have been following this issue, and you know. You know about individuals who've been fired because they had the audacity to state that they believe in the Christian view of marriage. Some of you have seen that we've even had entities stripped of their state tax exempt status because they had the audacity to state that they believe in the Christian view of marriage. Just recently I saw another case coming up in. Uh, Michigan, where a Catholic family, because they had the audacity and the courage to say that they believe that marriage is between a man and a woman for life, were told, you cannot sell your strawberries in our municipal market. The temperature is getting warmer. It's becoming uncomfortable to be a Christian. But if what's happening in the United States is tough and getting tougher, what's happening overseas is absolutely catastrophic. I should say before I get off the subject of the United States, one of the speakers at this uh, Liberty uh, Summit that we've had that uh, Melissa and Dwayne Leslie and and the rest of the team organized, they did an absolutely outstanding job, is uh, Dr. Tom Farr. Dr. Tom Farr was at the US State Department as the head of the Office of International Religious Freedom, a really outstanding person. And one of the things that Dr. Tom Fass said during his presentation really stuck with me. He said, if we lose religious freedom in the United States, where do we go to find it? Where do we go to find it? I used to work for the U.S. government. I traveled around the world. I traveled went to Africa. I went to Asia. I went to Europe. Every place I went, the message was the same. America has problems. We've got a lot of problems in the United States. We're not hiding from that. We're an honest country. But the one thing that we've gotten right is religious freedom. Now I've just finished this this submission to the government of Australia where I say this. Whatever you do, don't follow the American example. It's a complete turnaround, friends. It's a shocking turnaround, at least for me. Something that I never expected. Not like that. But what's happening here is nothing compared to what's happening overseas, particularly uh, in the Middle East. Some of you saw the the the, the terrible attack on the uh, Coptic Christian community in Egypt, Uh, that uh, uh, the Copts are under siege in their own country. In Iraq, it's the same thing. Uh, We're seeing terrible carnage. In much of the Middle East, uh, we're seeing uh, horrendous crimes committed uh, against Christians, targeted because they are Christians. In fact, the Pew uh, Pew, uh, Research Center Put out a report recently that surveyed the entire world. And what they found is about 74% of people living today live under uh, religious hostility, under conditions of religious hostility. Why? Because some of the largest countries in the world have very poor religious freedom uh, conditions. Uh, when I was working at the General Conference, I uh, had the opportunity to meet a number of people, and also when I worked for the US government who were suffering religious persecution. I'll just tell you one story about one particular visit. It happened a few years ago when there was religious violence against Christian minorities in uh, the, the Indian state of Odisha in, uh, uh, in India. And the message that we got was a very short message. It was a message about the pastor in this particular area. And the message read something like this. Uh, the, uh, Religious extremists chased our pastor down. He was old. He could not run fast. They caught him just outside of their church, and they hacked him to death with machetes. We decided to travel over there to meet with our members to see see what we could do. Uh, The first stop was New Delhi, because that's where we flew in. I went saw folks at the U.S. Embassy there, And while I was meeting with them, they said to me, James, when you're finished over there, please give us a report on how things are looking. And I was kind of surprised by this because I'd come to them to give me a report. So they've got people. and I said, well, why don't you give me a report and then I'll come back and I'll tell you what I see. They said, well, our data isn't that great. I said, why not? They said, because we're not allowed to travel to the area where the violence happened. I said, why aren't you allowed to travel to that area? I Said, because it's dangerous. I said, oh, I hadn't really thought about that. Probably should have. Got over to the city of Bhubaneswar which is the capital of Odisha. And on the morning that we were going out, and I was going out with our church leaders from India, I got to tell you, I had to pray very hard because I love my life. I got to. Uh, family, I've got a lot of things going. I did not want to end up as some martyr out in far reaches of India. But what I found really put my, my way of thinking to shame. We drove a long way out, and eventually we stopped on the side of the road, got out of the van, and uh, walked over, and there on the right-hand side of us was the head elder's home in rubble. On the left-hand side was our church, had been burnt out and the cross that had sat on top of it had been knocked down and smashed on the ground it was really a chilling scene but it was what I saw in the middle that I will never forget because in the middle between the elders wrecked home the church that was destroyed and the road behind me where the pastor had been hacked to death underneath a tree was a group of Seventh-day Adventist members in a circle studying their Sabbath school lessons. I got a question for you. If your church was knocked down, God forbid, the pastor was harmed. If you were under threat for your life, would you come back to the place and worship God? You got that kind of Fortitude, you got that kind of faith? After the service was over um, to a translator, I said, you know, hi, I'm here from the church headquarters. Uh, We're here to help you. What can we do to help? And the head elder stood forward to our group. And I'll never forget what he said. He said... We have God. We don't need anything else. We've got God. We don't need you. Mr. Think You're Important coming from America, what have you got? At that moment, I realized that guy had something I don't have. If you ask me, Hey, what do you need? I got 20 things I need at any given time. That guy looks at me and says, I don't need anything. I've got God. It's a humbling experience. Friends, sometimes we talk about persecution, and we're very very glib about it. I often, I get this question. Amira, I'm sure you get this question. a uh, mirror from uh, our southern unions here, that's what I'm referencing. Uh, other people, everyone who works in this area gets it. You get up, you speak about religious freedom, and you have a QA and a question, and there's always somebody who stands up and says, why are you trying to stop religious persecution? Don't you know persecution is necessary before Jesus comes And Besides, when Christians are persecuted, you know what? They should rejoice. Haven't you read your scripture? It's okay, fair enough. But there's nothing in the Bible that says that you should stand by silently as your brothers and sisters are persecuted. Amen. The people who say it, I know, have never—they've never met with people who suffered. See people who whose spouses have been killed. Do you think it's a think it's a little thing? People whose families have been ripped apart. Oh yeah, friends. When Jesus says, you're going to be treated like me. Maybe you haven't. But many, many of his followers have. Many, many, many. But there's a paradox in Jesus' teaching, isn't there? On one side we're told that... All who follow him will be treated like him, be persecuted, and be hated. And on the other side of it, we're told in Matthew eleven twenty-eight to thirty. Matthew eleven twenty-eight to thirty, he says this: Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I'm gentle, I'm lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Have you ever thought about how to square those two ideas? On one side, follow me and you'll be hated and persecuted. That doesn't sound like a light burden to me, does it? On the other side, come to me. I will give you rest. So I've been thinking about that. And recently, Lisa and I have been looking for a home to buy. And uh, so we've been house to house to house, and this didn't happen, but I wish it had of. We're walking in a house, and we're working in the yard, and we went over some dirt. I kicked the dirt, and I saw something. Got down. There's a glint of gold. I say to Lisa, come over here. Don't, don't make a fuss. Let the real estate agent go her way. Point down to it. Cover it up. Cover it up. And they say, Lisa, we got to buy this house. <laughs> she says to me, James, it's out of our price range. And I think for a second and say, we're going to make it in our price range. We'll make it in our price range. Because I know it's got the gold. The biggest gold nugget ever found is in Australia, in my home state there. 286 kilograms. 286 kilograms times 2.2 to get to pounds, times 16 to get to ounces. Uh, gold is $1,276 an ounce today. You do the math. I'm there. And Lisa said, How are we going to get the money? I said, I don't know, but we'll do anything it takes. We go home, she says, how about the big screen TV? I go, take the big screen TV, the Wizards never win anymore anyway, despite what Tony's doing. Take it. And the Redskins forget it. She says, what about your cricket bat? We'll sell the cricket bat. Come on, it's a one of a kind. Someone at the general conference is going to want this baby. Look at that. We'll get big bucks, maybe the NAD, maybe Dan Weber. That one's going to him. And then she says to me, James, what about your limited edition orange sparkle Gretsch? Take the orange sparkle Gretsch. Get it up there. Get it on eBay as fast as you can. This baby's out of here. Because I've found gold. And when you find gold, you don't care what you give up, because it is the treasure you were searching for. Isn't that the way it is? Wouldn't you do it? Just one piece of legal advice for you. I can't help it. If this happens to you, make sure you get the mineral rights when you buy the house. That's all. all. You'll thank me. Friends, when Jesus says, my burden is light, he is predicating that idea on this, that you understand what you found. And when you found the pearl of great price, when you found the treasure in the ground that he talks about, everything that you have to give up with isn't something that you're giving up because you've got your eyes on what you have gained. We are heading into uncharted, dangerous waters in our world. I praise God for the women who gave their lives to Jesus Christ publicly today. I praise the Lord for each one of you who's here today. My appeal to you as I end is this. Get to know what you have found. Understand the value of what we have, and when you hit that rocky, terrible, tumultuous time ahead, you will know where you stand. But if you don't understand the value of what you have, you will not be able to stand. Be like the man who I met in India who said, we've got God. That's who I want to be like, don't you? Amen.